0: The other thing that we talk about as a team frequently when it comes to delegation is the importance of how clearly you communicate. It's one thing to delegate to someone and say, okay, here's the resources you need. This is the objective. But we really talk about how important it is for whoever's receiving the task to then report back. Okay, here's what I heard. Just taking that moment to just reaffirm is super crucial to avoid all of the pain that could exist down the road because there's just a slight misalignment of expectations. Welcome to another episode
1: of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts all designed to help you be the best leader that you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's totally free. In today's episode, I'm delighted to introduce you to Craig Moody. Craig is the co-founder of Verdis Group, a sustainability consultancy that is dedicated to helping large organisations identify and implement ways to be more sustainable and climate resilient. In addition to leading significant growth for Verdis over the past 12 years, he was elected to the Omaha Public Power District Board of Directors in 2016. He served as board chair in 2020 and currently serves as the chair of the board's System Management and Nuclear Oversight Committee. In this episode of the show, though, you can listen in to our very relaxed and very informal conversation about great leadership. And it's absolutely packed full of golden nuggets of practical wisdom. Amongst other things, we speak about being people positive and complexity conscious, which are two of the underpinning principles at Verdis. We explore how you can keep people connected to the vision and the value of planning in a complex and ever-changing world. And on top of that, we also had a fascinating and completely unplanned conversation about the importance of embracing healthy challenge within a team. But before we get into this episode, I've got an exciting competition for you. In the show notes, you'll find a competition link that you can click on to win a full set of four books from the authors that I've interviewed in this season of the show. So do take a moment to enter right now and continue expanding your knowledge even further. But for now, though, please sit back, relax, and let's dive right in. Here's my fascinating conversation with Craig Moody. Craig, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us today. First of all, how are you?
0: Ben, I'm doing good. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. I'm splendid, prepping for a vacation here pretty soon. So uh, life is busy, but life is really good for me right now. Fantastic. That's great to hear.
1: So let's dive straight in, Craig. I guess it's a bit of the the context question, right? So can you share with us the story of how Veritas Group came to be? What motivated you to start the company? And I guess what the company sets out to to achieve and who it serves, right?
0: Yes. So the company is Veritas Group. or a B Corp in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Been around since 2009. And myself and Daniel Lossie are the two owners. So we started it back then. Daniel and I and our origination story actually started uh, with a little bit of conflict. <laughs> we're both in Omaha, and I'll keep this story short because we tell it in orientation to new employees, and it takes us 30 minutes. So I'll give you the brief version. We were both working on a community initiative here in Omaha, Nebraska, and we were on separate sides of the fence, so to speak. And so we got together, had coffee, to talk through this issue that we that the community was grappling with, and we concluded the conversation, not any closer to agreement, which was fine because I think we both kind of handled it pretty professionally and respectfully. And the fact that we continued to talk afterwards on you know a variety of different topics was, I think, instructive about the relationship that we had. I hesitate to use that terminology because it's not as though we had known each other for a while. We, we had just met. So the extent to which we were able to Reconnect and explore a relationship and explore an idea, perhaps more importantly for us, I felt gave a really strong indication for our ability to sort of work through things, even if we don't agree. Uh, So when we started getting together, it was, you know, late 2008, there was a recession uh, underway. And so... I was in a job that I didn't like. Daniel was really kind of exploring new things and but we had this sort of central theme that we kept coming back to, which was we want to we want to have a big impact on the world and we want to do it in a way that addresses the climate crisis. That was the singular motivating factor for us and and it continues to this day. It is why people join the organization that we've created is because they feel that same sense of purpose to a person. Uh, and so that was kind of the the thing that really drove us to connect and continue to explore ideas. We had so many terrible ideas for how we would do that early on, but eventually we stumbled into the sustainability and climate planning consultancy that we're now running. We primarily work with large organizations, a lot of the uh, bad ideas were really centered around helping residential homeowners, small businesses and and there there definitely wasn't a market for that back in two thousand and nine when we started. And so a good early lesson for us was focus on the big fish. That's really where the big envir- environmental impact is. And it's where there's actually a market too, where where we could get just a little bit of revenue to get us off the ground. So that's that's the very short version of kind of where we started from.
1: So Craig, I'm about to hijack my own podcast here and very, very, very early doors take it in a completely different direction to, to where I thought it would go. What was really fascinating about what you shared there was that your relationship with Daniel, your co-founder, sort of started with, I'm not sure if you used the word conflict or certainly a, a different different view about something, which I find, it, find fascinating, right? I think it's Patrick Lencioni, who is probably one of the world's leading experts on building teams and wrote the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team talks about the second hurdle or the second thing that stops teams becoming high performing teams is a fear of conflict and he says actually in great teams they don't fear it they encourage healthy challenge and debate because they know that through the wrestle and the tussle they're going to get to the best solutions and ideas whereas so many teams or Founders will will back away because we don't like conflict and, and we we think it's bad. So, I guess two two questions. That the first one, you've, I think you've probably already answered. But, like, I assume between you and Daniel, that degree of healthy challenge and conflict has has continued since the business started, right?
0: Yeah, I think it has. I mean, Daniel and I are very different. I am a finance. Business MBA, I'm a very sort of linear thinker. Gallup Strengths-wise, we, we use Gallup Strengths pretty extensively. I have no Gallup Strengths, at least in the top five, in the strategic thinking domain. Mine are relationship-based, mine are operationally-based. Daniel is heavy on the strategic thinking side. He He's a theology undergrad, he's got a master's in community and regional planning, so he is a big thinker. I describe him as somebody who's always thinking sort of down the road and around the corner. Uh, and so we know that about one another and the better you know someone in our case and the more trust that you have in that alignment on what the long-term objective here is and again that that for us that's big impact because we're so aligned on that big impact idea and because we know one another and uh, how we work and how we think, we have yeah hesitate i'm not sure conflict is the right word but there's there's like a healthy tension is maybe a better way to put it we 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 work through problems very differently we come at them very differently and because we know that about one another we have a lot of patience and we give one another a lot of latitude to really explore the stuff and work through it and it's worked i mean i could have never started this organization by myself and done it the way that we've done it. And Daniel, same, he needed me and I needed him in order for us to be successful. And so we've got a nice little yin-yang there. We've not had many, many yelling matches, you know, like I could count them on one hand, but the way in which we think about the work and the way in which we sort of organize our work and the work of the team and the direction we're headed is, is very much grounded in sort of our our back and forth uh, exploration of what that could and should be, and again, I think that works because we know we know our strengths so well, and we lean on those so heavily. So that
1: that being the case, that being, if you want the the genesis of yours and Daniel's r- relationship, and the fact that it's it's worked well and really helped you get to where you are now, like, is that approach that healthy challenge that healthy tension? Is that an approach that you? encourage and try and build into the dna of the organization and if so how how do you practically do that
0: yeah well we try i i think it's it's easier said than done because many people who join our organization often talk about once they kind of get in and and start to understand how we operate they really quickly tell us boy this is really different than anyone anywhere else i've ever worked in in a variety of different ways. Certainly, one of which I think is we really want to push one another and and solve problems in ways that really kind of push and pull. And I don't know that it's a it's a competition of ideas necessarily, because that implies that there it's a zero sum game and we're we're kind of fighting for the for for the win, so to speak. But I think a lot of it is really born out of again collectively, we have our eye on the prize. What's the long-term objective here? What's, what's our North Star? And if, and if we are clear on that collectively, then we should be in a position where we need to work through and have some healthy tension around where we're going and what we're doing. Um, and, and because we, we're very transparent, we really kind of open almost everything up to the team. And in, in many ways, we describe early on to them, look, we still kind of view this as an experiment and we want your input, your involvement in helping us uh, work through, th- through this experiment that we've created. Uh, so you have agency in it. Continuous participatory change uh, is a phrase that we come back to on occasion to help people understand that they have a role in in helping us succeed. And part of that success is about, again, that, that healthy tension that can help us do better. Yeah. And at what point did you
1: and... Daniel, explore and share your Gallup strengths profiles? Was that early on? Was that something that came? Oh, super early.
0: Yep. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we started in 2009. I think we did that within the first year. And we've, every single employee that comes in the door, uh, that's one of the first things we do is, is have them complete the Gallup strengths. We've got sort of a matrix that we look at. And I'll just speak for myself. It's really helped me personally understand everyone on our team better. And in particular, in those instances where, as an example, I'm an I'm an arranger. It's a strength that I have, which means that I always like to look at things in different ways and sort of okay, we're doing it this way, but can we try this? And like what that does for me is that means that I I sometimes don't know when to stop doing that. And the Gallup strengths specifically say someone like me with that skill, with that strength, needs to partner with someone who's an activator, which is someone who is just let's go. We've got enough information to make a decision. Stop talking about it. Let's go. Uh, And so we have an individual on our team. We haven't had many activators. We have a lot of people that that are like me who really kind of like to slowly make decisions. And so once we got an activator on our team, it was so refreshing. It was so refreshing and so good for the organization in so many ways. And so we, again, we have this healthy tension of me wanting more information, me wanting to run through it again and that person saying, nope, we're ready. Let's go. Let's make a decision. Uh, so Gallup Strengths have been really, really helpful for us. And that's a maybe one example of why.
1: Yeah, I love that. And the other thing I wanted to pick up on that I heard you mention a few minutes back was, I think you said something along the lines of, it doesn't really feel like a competition. And whilst you have this healthy tension, it never really feels sort of uh, difficult or, or unpleasant because you and everyone has always got their sort of eye on the, on the long, long-term prize, which I guess in some ways may be kind of easier for an organization like yours when you're working to such an environmental and, and, and social purpose. But again, on a practical level, how do you make sure that everyone stays connected to that vision and, and, and long, long-term purpose?
0: Honestly, it's not super difficult for us. I think we have an advantage there because the news about what's happening from a climate crisis standpoint is ever present. We keep close track of that. So we we know definitively that collectively, you know, globally speaking, we're not on the right track. Uh, we've got work to do. So I think all of us sort of feel that inherent urge and that pressure to do more and do better and to help our clients really kind of take action. And and we come back and we talk about our purpose regularly. Everyone knows, I think, if I ask them just kind of pop quiz, what's our purpose for for being? I think they know it. I don't find that we need to sort of hammer that into the heads of the team necessarily, but demonstrating what healthy tension looks like, I think is something that we, we need to practice. And, you know, for me as a leader, the way that that looks in that instance is, is to acknowledge, and um, we've got a high five Slack channel. So, you know, I wanna give high fives to people who are pushing me, who are giving me critical feedback, who are really kind of sticking their nose in, in places to really where they're demonstrating that they wanna make the organization better. And, and, and in those, you know, tight spots where it's uncomfortable as humans, right, to give negative feedback or to, to lean into the tension. And so, what we wanna do is sort of hold that up and we wanna honor it. And we want to recognize that kind of demonstration of leading into it. Uh, so that's one of the ways in which we try and at least help. And, you know, we got a lot of new people on the team, too. So really holding up those examples is something that I think is really important for us.
1: Do you know what? I, I absolutely love that. And that kind of proves to me that um, I'm not an idealist. I'm, I'm, I'm not a lone nut in some of the things that, that I talk about. But <laughs> whenever I talk about trying to... I don't know, shift the culture or embed new certain behaviours or create an environment where you've got like high challenge, but it also feels feels very safe. I'll always find myself talking about like reward and recognise the behaviours that, that that you want. And lots of people on programs will sit and nod and go, "Oh yeah, great, that's a great idea." But what you just shared there is a brilliant, simple, practical example of that in being put into practice, right? Just uh, some sort of channel, Slack, kind of WhatsApp, whatever, where you as one of the managing partners can go, hey, or, I assume this is what you do. Hey, thanks for sticking your head above the parapet and, and chucking in a different perspective. It's great. It's what we want. It's what we want to see more of. Super powerful, right? Because everyone wants to get some acknowledgement from from the Boston inverted commas.
0: Yeah. And especially, you know, when they're when a team member is giving one of the owners feedback, critical feedback in particular and saying, hey, you could have done this better or, you know, leaning into the tension a little bit to an owner, man, there is nothing more that I want to hold up uh, for the rest of the team to see that as this is, this is how we work. Uh, so doing it, you know, sort of at a quote unquote peer level, I think is a little bit easier, but floating it up to, I need to tell the boss that, you know, he or she is not, Performing as well as they could, that takes some courage, you know. And uh, and so we want to want to eliminate those barriers as much as we can.
1: But also, you mentioned the 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 courage word there. It takes mm-hmm. courage from from you as a leader, and and Daniel, as your co-founder, he he does the same. So. Is that just in, inherently you? Is that how you've always operated, or is that something that you, you've worked at or you got some coaching on and as a result, kind of you you made a step change there? What's what's that journey look like for you personally?
0: I don't think that it's how I've always operated. I don't think. I think I was perhaps a little bit predisposed to it, but for me that the term that resonates most in as I think about sort of my journey there is vulnerability. And I probably would acknowledge that, you know, that's not something that was talked about a lot as I was growing up or in my early adulthood, but probably more within the last, I would say, five to 10 years, exploring vulnerability and what it really means as a privileged white male in the United States and really understanding sort of where I am and where, what, my, what my role is in the world. Uh, and what my role is in the organization in some ways is is to lead, yes. But I think in other ways, it's it's to get out of the way. And so kind of better understanding, you know, where I need to really kind of expose myself and be vulnerable and acknowledge that I, I have imperfections and uh, there are things that I can do better. I don't know that that's been natural to me, but I feel like I've maybe made some good progress in it. I'd have to ask my partner if she agrees. <laughs> uh, but I think we've done some good things recently, maybe. So this is fascinating.
1: I'd I'd love to find out a little bit more about what vulnerability means for you in terms of leadership. And I guess what sits behind that question is, I don't know over what time period, it maybe feels like the past five years, maybe a little bit longer, certainly in leadership and management circles. We've heard the word vulnerability being being used quite a lot. Now there are a number of leaders. I kind of come across some of these who maybe behind sort of closed doors, kind of one on one, might say to me, "Ben, why do I need to be vulnerable? Like, why should I be vulnerable with with my people? What's that going to achieve? People don't want to see their leader being being vulnerable." And on the one hand, I I understand that, but it really Depends how you define vulnerable, right? And whilst we talk about it a lot, I still think a lot of people don't fully understand what we mean by vulnerability and the power of vulnerability in in terms of leadership. It's it's not just talking about everything that's going wrong for you at the minute and all your challenges and all your worries and in, insecurities, right? It could simply be as as you're doing there. Do you know what? I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here and open up the floor to the entire organization to, to give me feedback and to challenge me on things. and I'm going to do that, do that publicly. That's, that's one sort of embodiment of this concept of, of vulnerability. Right. But what does it, what does it mean for you and how have you been playing around with it? Cause it sounds like you're doing some, some great stuff in that area.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, for, for me, it's just the, the acknowledgement and the fact that, that I don't know everything. I don't have every answer. Uh, and the minute that, I step in as a leader uh, of an organization and just kind of put my foot down and say, "No, this is the answer, and this is what we're doing." Uh, is is I'm I'm likely wrong in some way, shape, or form. Perhaps there's a little bit of there's a little bit of apprehension on my part about my ability to lead, and I don't know the answers. I mean, that's the reality here: is that when we started this organization, we we did so with a pretty big amount of ignorance. Uh, and and we just thought we had an idea. We thought it had merit, and I think that's perhaps we're we're at a phase where we're growing really fast as well. And so we've we I think we've done really well for 13 or 14 years to get to this point. But because the growth is something that's really straining the organization, we talk frequently about uh, growth pains. I'll acknowledge that I've not taken an organization sort of through this phase before. So it's kind of like, oh boy, we're learning as we go again. This feels familiar, uh, but we're, you know, it's, the stakes are higher. We're much bigger. We got more mouths to feed. I don't know. I just, I, I don't know everything and I need people around me to help think through things. And and perhaps that's a little bit of my arranger strength coming through again, where it's you know always wanting to bring people to the table to collaborate and and, and work together. But I think it's just for me an acknowledgement that I need to help, <laughs> simply, and I can't do it alone. Hey, quick one
1: for you. I want to make sure that you know about my ten for ten leadership program. It's an online program that's totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It's also a course that gets consistently great feedback. You can find out more by heading to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com. I love that and regular listeners to the show will have um, heard this very much as a theme that, that keeps crop, cropping up. So many of the MDs and CEOs who come on here will often talk about sort of a step change that occurred for them them as a leader. And one of those step changes often comes at the point where they suddenly go, ah, oh, do you know what? It's not my job to have, have all of the answers. I've got this incredible team around me. I've done my job well and hired a lot of bright people into the organization. So Actually, why would I try and pretend I have all the answers when I I can tap into the expertise and wisdom and and energy and experiences of all all the people in in the organization? Um, It's just such a truism that many of us kind of learn too late in our leadership careers, I think.
0: Part of what we're still sort of wrestling with a little bit, though, is striking the right balance between tapping into the wisdom of the organization and its people to help make good decisions versus, let's call some new folks who are really looking to us for that vision, that guidance that, okay, they're they're charting the course, they're setting it forward, and that dynamic of, yes, pulling in the perspectives of the team, but also, you know, we've heard from at least some colleagues that we work with, hey, could you guys give us a little bit more guidance and give us more clarity on where we're going to be in five years? So, I don't know how does that it, in, in your experience do you have a sense for how that shows up is that a common tension that that leaders experience when they're when they're trying to approach it in that way
1: Yeah I think that has become more common again over the past f- 5 to 5 to 10 years and the reason I say that is I've worked with lots of senior leaders and M- MDs and CEOs and and with their teams when I've been doing some I guess diagnostic work getting to know the team understand a little bit about a little bit about the team dynamic what's cropped up a lot over the past five years is almost a a tension or a slight imbalance where people are speaking of their leaders going do you know what they are super collaborative they really kind of engage and bring us into the decision making but you know what sometimes we just want ben to give a bit more direction Sometimes I wish Craig would just make a decision and and tell us where where we're going. So if there's almost a spectrum of, I guess, on one end, end you've got very directive leadership. On the other end, you've got sort of super collaborative, almost laissez-faire. I think probably because of lots of the research and studies that have been coming out over the last 10 years, I think, in many places leaders have shifted a little too far towards that that collaborative approach but for me even that is a bit of a false false dichotomy because it's not a either or which is best it's just situational right like where do I need to be operating now based on the the context the time I've got to make this decision sort of how how engaged I need people to be in in this decision I was just co-facilitating last week with a great friend of mine an amazing facilitator And, and what cropped up that we found ourselves both sharing with the group is very few leadership teams actually decide up front before they have to make a decision what the decision-making process they're going to use is
0: ah interesting sure they tend to
1: just arrive at a meeting have a good old debate around it they'll either get to a decision or, or they won't and if they don't what tends to happen because it's dragging on you've got a full agenda people are getting frustrated the leader or whoever's agenda item is will normally go all right uh let's pause this now I'll review later or we'll take this offline right. or we'll stick it on the agenda for next week. And you still don't have a decision-making process. So the key really that I can talk about here is like, what level of commitment do, do you need? So if for example, it's where are you going to go for the Christmas party? Majority vote might well work, right? You've got two two options and say you've got a hundred people 60 people might vote for one location, 40% might vote for the other. Now, actually, 40 people, that's quite a lot of people who aren't happy about where they're going for the Christmas party. (laughs) Does that really matter? Probably not. If it's a key strategic decision you're about to make around where do we put the next $250,000 worth of investment, and to your leadership team, you go majority vote, and you get six go one way, four go the other, you've got. Nearly half, right? If your leadership team, who aren't bought into that decision, now that does matter because you need them to be on the same page and execute. So in that case, you might have to go for consensus, which isn't necessarily the same as unanimous agreement. But we're going to sit around debate until everybody really feels that their opinion's been understood and listened to, and then then we make a decision. Like they're just two examples: consensus or majority vote, but choosing the decision making process is key. And I'm not sure how we got to this.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, I asked you a question. So I probably sent you even more off script than you had planned. But what you just described to me um, is really fascinating. And I shy away from the word consensus. Uh, and this is perhaps, I know we, we were potentially going to talk about my favorite book in the whole world, Brave New Work by Aaron Dignan. But he talks about advised consent is what we should be after. And that's so that's something that we've definitely been playing around with is how can we move some things forward, pursue the adjacent possible, something that's just on the other side of the fence that um, we can we can see, we can test, we can try it, we can create an experiment, do it quickly, see how it goes, and then go from there. And advised consent is, is something that we've been sort of toying with to counteract the slowness that I think Uh, exist when we're seeking consensus. Now, certainly big decisions you want to get there. But for us, honestly, big big decisions, I think, are pretty uncommon. It's all these sort of day-to-day, week-to-week, the things that When you add them up over the course of a year, they in totality they become a big decision. But for us, it's just like that what's that one next thing that we can pursue and try that will help us get a little bit closer to where we want to be going longer term.
1: Yeah. And one of the other decision making processes we could use is is consultative. So that could be the leader or again, whoever's agenda item it is, says, Hey, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna consult with you or different groups, people individually, and based on that when I've got the information. I will then make the call. Make the call on this one. So it's again, it's just back to what's the decision-making process that's going to generate the level of commitment that is required to to this particular particular decision. I think, and balancing that directiveness with with, with collaboration, really depending on the on, on the context. One of the things that really sticks in my mind, and then we'll come back to questions for you, is. I was really fortunate, and I've referenced this on a few podcasts since, to have General David Petraeus came came on the show. And uh, One of the questions I asked him was around his leadership style. And to paraphrase, he went, it's a false question. He said, tell me the context, tell me what you want me to achieve, tell me who I'm leading, and then I'll tell you, tell you my le- leadership style. It, it's the same, really, in terms of how directive, how collaborative we are, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I grew up, uh, my dad was a coach. And one of the things that I remember most vividly, he was always, like every father, right? He was always full of these little quips and sayings. But the one thing that I remember a, a lot of them, but one of the one that ones that really resonates with me is him talking about how a coach really needs to adjust their style based on the team itself, the individuals on the team. And, you know, some some kids need to be yelled at. To be motivated. Uh, some kids need, you know, a soft pat on the back and, and encouragement. And I think that applies both in terms of how we think about managing individuals on our team, but also kind of the team writ large and, and what it needs. So I think hopefully that maybe aligns with what General Petraeus was sort of getting at with, with that comment. Totally.
1: Totally. So you mentioned um, Aaron Dignan's book there, Brave New, World, Brave New Work, sorry. And I know you said when we chatted in the preparation for this episode about just how much impact it had on you and, and the business as well. There's two things you, you shared that I'd love you just to tell us a little bit more about, I guess, particularly how they're playing out in your organization, right? Rather than getting you to teach everybody what, what's in the book. But I think you spoke about being people positive and complexity conscious, right? What, what does that mean in, in the organization for you?
0: Well, for us, People Positive is really about acknowledging that we have a great team of exceptionally smart people who are committed to the purpose. So we want to do everything that we can to put them in a position to be successful themselves, to be the best versions of themselves, even if that means that, you know, they're only with us for a short time and to meaningfully engage them in growing the organization and, and achieving you know the, the, the goals and objectives that we have. It's really putting a lot of, in some ways, honestly, a lot of responsibility on them to think as owners and, and to, to really meaningfully work on getting us where we want to be. So that resonated with me partly because we've always talked as an organization, Daniel and I, about being very people-centered. So I think it was just the crystallization of what that, Sort of looks like, and 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 in some cases, I suppose why the complexity conscious part for me, and you know, I was reading this. I think the it was it was pandemic, so it it really was about look, the world is changing super fast. How can you possibly know what next year is going to look like? Let alone in five years given how fast things are changing. So it, it, the, the intention there is really just this acknowledgement that that things change way too fast. And uh, I think the quote that I shared with you that I share with anyone who I can share it with uh, is, in a complex world, plans are nothing more than lies committed to paper. And it, it just really leaned into the, the nimbleness that we need. And and for me, the one of the reasons that that struck a chord, uh, there are two reasons, honestly. One is I'm a planner. Uh, I like to know multiple steps and I like to map it out and I'm, I'll put the Gantt chart together. And so I like that predictability. I like the linear nature of it. And as an organization, we put together plans. Like that's a big service that we offer is a climate action plan that contemplates where an organization's going to be in 2030, 2040, 2050. So for me, it's sort of really forced me to question the merit of that service. And so I think we've in some ways pivoted that service just a little bit to be mindful of the fact that things are just changing really really fast and I think that you know clearly that's going to continue. Uh, so we, we now have more of a bias for action. We, we Yes, we want to help an organization think about where they're going to be in 20, 2030, 40, or 50 and you know where they want to get their emissions down to. Perhaps more importantly, we want to help them understand what do they need to do in the next two to three years. Let's get going uh, because the clock is ticking, things are changing, and uh, shame on us if we're trying to help you figure out exactly what you're gonna do in seven years because it'll all change. That complexity conscious part of it was probably the thing that really overturned the Apple card in my head a little bit.
1: Yeah. So in terms of that that quote, in a complex world, plans are nothing more than lies committed to paper. You touched just then about what that means for services you deliver to clients and what you help them with. But what does that quote mean that within your own organisation you do and don't do now? Has it has it shifted much because I'm totally on the same page like my first career is in, in the military and probably our equivalent of that phrase was no plan survives contact with the enemy and then I think Mike Tyson said something similar when he said everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face right but I'm like you are I'm still a big big planner I will still plan and going into a situation with a plan gives me confidence but I go in knowing full well the plan is likely to to change and something will crop up that I haven't even anticipated. So then I know I have to be nimble and, and agile, but I will still always plan. So what, what does that look like for, for you guys?
0: I think we're still sort of toying with it a little bit. I'll probably admit and acknowledge that, that Daniel uh, was more on the spectrum of like, let's let it evolve as we uncover more. And I was always the one who said, okay, that's a good idea, but but what's the plan?
1: What, what's our plan for planning less? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm personally sort of swinging the continuum more his way a little bit. We've got some plans for where we want to be in, at the end of the year in, in 2025, RV25, uh, that were established in about 2018 or 2019. And so they, they still hold true. Those long-term North Star ideas are still the thing. You know, we thought when we first set those goals, we thought, okay, we're going to be doing a lot of municipal climate action plans, working for cities to help them put together these massive, big projects, big climate action plans that, you know, are huge projects. And so we set out to do that. And we put a marketing plan together. We pursued all of these municipal climate action plans. We had a couple under our belt, but not many. And then we got punched in the nose. Uh, We lost RFPs for Uh, I'm going to ballpark here, but at least 10 in a row where we submitted a proposal and proposals take a while to put together, right? So it was painful. It was a hard punch in the nose. And we said, okay, this is not working. We need to revisit the plan. Didn't change where we were headed longer term. The goals were still the same, but we were just sort of pivoting. Uh, the services that we were offering, the markets that we were going after. And it maybe took us a little bit longer than we should have because we just kind of kept pursuing, kept pursuing. And we had one where we were were focused on it and we said, this is the last one that we're going to go after. And it was actually in our hometown in Omaha. Went after that one, didn't get it either. And we said, okay, now we're really done. Like, this is not our market. We don't have a right to win in this market. And so the plan has changed. Uh, So I suppose that's probably one of the larger sort of more concrete examples. But I also think that, you know, for us from a planning standpoint, I really do think that we're trying to think about our work and the way in which we change our services and the way in which we evolve more on a sort of day by day, week by week basis, rather than this long term, what does this need to look like? It's again that the term we come back to is adjacent possible what's what's right on the other side that we can test out and try that's just an evolution of what we're already doing revisit it do a retrospective learn something and then continue to sort of just evolve 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 as fast as we can
1: craig probably last question before i ask my sort of regular quick fire questions to to finish up and this is partly a, a question for for me in some ways, because it's a question I often get asked and, and I always struggle to, to answer it, but it fits with what we've been talk, talking about here. So people often now come to me who are trying to set out building a similar business to, to I've built or senior leaders will ask the same question in a slightly different context, which is essentially like, how long do you persist with a plan b- before changing it? Because in addition to everything we've, we've shared, I'm also a big believer in in consistency, right? Sticking sticking with a plan because often people give up just that minute too soon and you often see the cartoon don't you on places like LinkedIn where there's a a man swinging an axe in a coal mine searching for the gold or the diamond and he suddenly stops the new guy comes in does one swing of the axe and finds the the biggest diamond in the world. So so, so it's a wrestle run. Right? people often say yeah, but when do you know when to switch plan and when when to give up and and change change tack?
0: That's yeah, that's hard. Yeah,
1: and I don't really know to, to be honest. But for me, it's it's just gut feel. I'm probably a trait of mine is probably quite stubborn. I'm quite a stubborn person, so I will just doggedly keep keep going. Arguably, I've probably pursued some strategies maybe longer than I should in hindsight, but. You can only connect the dots looking backwards, as Steve Jobs said. Like, do, do you have a, a view on that? When, How do you know when to change tack or when to do a few more swings of the axe?
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that it's, that it's gut instinct. I probably gravitate towards hanging on longer than I should, I think is probably my MO, if, if I'm honest we don't have a scientific approach for sort of when to cut the line or when to leave it in the water. And in some ways, I think this is sort of where we tap into the wisdom of the team and helping to sort of helping us to think through when it's time to, and, and, you know, to your point, I I wonder if there it's it's on a continuum, probably there, you know, just saying the plan didn't work, let's throw it away and start over is, is sort of the, the big version of that. But you know, there are always just forks in the road. And so it's just a different evolution of the plan. You know, we 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 really try to lean into living systems frameworks and think about how would nature respond to that question. And that's something Daniel does really well. And he thinks about okay, well, well nature has been around for a heck of a long time and is doing okay. It's going to probably survive us as humans. So we can learn something from it. And part of that is really just about the pace at which it in- evolves and how it evolves and and how it gathers information in the moment and doesn't it's not a not a big pivot it doesn't just start, sort of start and stop in significant ways it's just these incremental little changes that over time result in big changes and so that's i, I suppose one way in which we sort of think about throwing plans away is oh, we're not throwing it away but we're just kind of maybe taking a slightly different path than we had anticipated
1: Greg, let me ask you my regular quick fire questions so number one what is the one book, <laughs> maybe I know this, maybe I don't, what is the one book that's had the greatest impact on you or the one book that you find yourself recommending to others the most?
0: Yes, for me, it's it's Brave New Work by Aaron Dignan. It's a book that I come back to almost on a daily basis. We ask everyone on our team to read. It's a huge part of how we're starting to grow our team and, and grow the organization. So that's, the, that's definitely the one for me.
1: And what is the one item other than your smartphone that you would immediately go out and replace if it were to be lost, broken or stolen?
0: You know, I just recently invested in an an e-bike ah. and oh my goodness, is it fun. And it's changed my life in such good ways. So I can't imagine, I've, only, I've not had it long, but I tell you what, I can't imagine living without it anymore. It is It is a lot of fun to ride.
1: Is that like a commuter bike? Is that a... Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm not the kind of person who bikes for, for exercise. I bike to get from point A to point B, and so I love... It's hard in the States, you know, but uh, I love leaving my car at home and hopping on my bike and going to get the groceries, going to work, just doing the daily things. The bike that I have now, I'm going to be honest, is probably the sexiest thing that I own at this point. It's a Dutch made, really beautiful, elegant, fun to ride bike that I really, really love.
1: Craig, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a super cool conversation. It's Bed, little resemblance to the questions we'd prepped in advance where we thought it would go but I think it's so much richer as a, as a result so thank you so much for your time it's been awesome chatting to
0: you today. Yeah it's been a pleasure Ben I really appreciate you having me thank, thank you very much. I hope you found that conversation valuable
1: folks but most importantly I really hope that you're able to go away and make some small positive changes as a result. If you did get value from this episode, then please do rate, review and subscribe via iTunes as it really does enable us to keep bringing you more and more interviews with fantastic leaders and subject matter experts. Do also visit ben-morton.com where you can connect with me, find out more about my leadership mentoring and team development work, along with details of all of my online programs via the tools and resources page. That's it for this episode. See you again in the next one very soon and lead on.